Hi there, Eric here. I would like to apologize for the quality of this episode. We had some connectivity issues and things did not go as planned. So please bear with us and we hope to fix things in the future episodes. Thank you very much. And here you go. Hello. It just uh, it just gave me a signal and cut out that said unable to join this meeting and you went blank. Well, a bunch of bullshit. This is going to be such a nightmare. What the f- what? So anyway, Gaspacho, I I learned to love when I realized that I was drinking liquid salad. Yes. And where yeah. the way my hold on the way my mother-in-law serves it is actually with a ladle into a glass and then and, and you drink it from the glass. You're not spooning it as if it as if you're pretending that it's soup. It's like a it's like a salad milkshake sort of thing. Huh. And in that way, it's a little sure. chunky, but in that way, it's made sense for me, and I've learned to enjoy it. It's yeah. not my favorite thing in the world, but drinking it as if you're drinking like a hers was pureed to your point. Pureed, which, yeah. When uh, that was not attractive, it was uh, kind of grayish green. But it didn't have the ambiance that what I've always liked about Crispacho when I've had it is that it's it's colorful and it's should be more pink from the tomatoes. And in the best I've had has been akin to a more liquidy nacho uh, dip, homemade with with real vegetables, and this was that with more liquid. Right. Which when I say chunky, chunky, drain the broth out of it and dip it right. with chips. That's right. It's historically. Like all soups, it was one of these things where you put together whatever leftover ingredients you have from the week or whatever, and you yeah. slurry them together, and you call that soup. That's bouillabaisse. Right. One of my favorite dishes to make and to eat. So, have should we it? address some of our topics? I want to ask about bouillabaisse first. Have you had it? What is that? It's what you just described is a lot of different stuff that you put in, like gazpacho. This is you work in a restaurant, and whenever there's seafood, that you trim the piece and put a hunk of it. You cut it up and you put a hunk of it in the cooler because you're not using it. And you do that with crabs and clams, and let's say a lobster claws is broken and you don't want to serve it. You put that all in the cooler, and then on the weekend, you take out this huge pot of fish and crustacean parts and you you rinse it off and then you create a broth tomato based broth thin broth with a seasoning from the from literally from the early cooking of mm. this pile of seafood and then you add to it wine and seasoning and you end up with a bouillabaisse, base which in my experience is not is is a brothy soup not a puree, not a chunk, right. not a it's the, the, it's the broth is super thick, flavored water, but it is so chuck full of right. hunks of fish and seafood. People rave over it, and they don't realize that it is like the weekly trash bin of seafood. You no, know, as you have been describing that, this, I've been scrolling through a web page that I will put in the show notes at happyart.fm/slash/one-one-nine, I believe. When, as you were saying, and then you add wine, like I was scrolling to the point where they're adding wine, it's just really interesting looking dish and I get now, how I that is amazing it, and I made it in a restaurant that seats probably 60 75 people so if you've got it on the menu you're better able to serve it so I've got a pot that literally is 
three feet circumference and the amount Damn. of the stuff that a seafood restaurant goes through in a week. And once you know that you're building bouillabaisse and you're trimming the fish throughout the week, you will be mindful that if you've got a, if you've got a big filet of cod, that when you get in a restaurant and you get a fresh frozen cod delivered to your door, it comes in boxes that are three foot long and weigh about 40 pounds. And when you open up the box, there are maybe five fillets of cod that each weigh several pounds that are three feet long because cod is a very big fish. Yep. And what you do to serve the fish is you lay that fillet down and then you cut out the shape of a smaller fish. And if you want it to look like flounder, you make it very thin. And if you want it to look like perch, you cut it very small. If you want it to look like walleye, there's a certain cut to it. And because you're working with essentially a block of fish, which you can carve any way you want. Cod is wonderfully firm and cuts smoothly and cleanly under the knife. But when you're doing that and you know that you've got bouillabaisse coming, those chunks that you trim off become right. bigger. Indeed. And in the case of a, of a lobster, let's say that I'm serving a lobster, which we serve with the claws in one dish, the uh, lobster tail in another dish, and then a third dish is uh, claw meat that comes in squares about a pound each <laughs> of the same exact size hunks of Alaskan king crab, every one the size of kind of a large size cigarette. Mm -hmm. Maybe as big as your small finger, but about the same, just the three inches long, right, that long. So that when you serve it, you put it in a dish and bake it with a little cheese sauce and some butter. When they bite into it, it's nothing but pure king crab. Right. But when you're serving that, let's say, that there's one that's broken. You don't want to serve a cylinder that's busted open. That's not the presentation you want. Indeed. So when you know you're doing bouillabaisse, your standard of what goes into the dish heightens. Indeed. Because you just assumed there were more second grade looks of the of the Alaskan. And then I, I used to get a guy come to my back door. This was always a thrill. This is very seven, in, seven or eight in the morning. And he'd knock on the back door of the restaurant. Open up the big steel door and there's a fisherman with a stringer of about eight fish, each weighing five, six pounds. And they're ocean trout that he caught in Tampa Bay that morning with his boat. Totally off the books, right. <laughs> under under licensing and, and approval. That happens in here in my fishing village where, the, where I live, yes. I am the guy, I don't know what I would give him. I'd pay him well. And he'd give me that stringer fish, keep the stringer. <laughs> and I'd go and I'd clean all those fish and I'd serve them until they ran out. And the place became known for having the occasional Saturday or Sunday special menu item of fresh ocean trout, mm -hmm. which were so fresh that literally four hours before they were served at 11 o'clock, they were swimming they in the ocean. handed to me on a stringer. When you're cleaning those fish, you can make those fillets larger or smaller. And if you make the fillet smaller, guess what goes into the bouillabaisse? And on and on, you get the yeah. point. But no, when the... you're making bouillabaisse, it's got to serve 40 people. You could sell 40 bowls of bouillabaisse in the first two hours the restaurant was open. And then when the next round of people came in and the place turned over, so to speak, slowed down a little bit after the full lunch hour, and there were 20 people, and then again it would pick up at dinner, how long are you going to have bouillabaisse on the menu before you uh, deep six it is what it's called in the kitchen. Deep six. I don't six. know if you know that term. That's new to me. It's what you, you use that term to throw stuff out, right? If you got a report that sucks, you deep six it. The deep six is the, the size and the description of the trash can uh deep six 
It's not six feet. It's not six it's feet under. I don't know what six seems pretty small. Six inches, six foot seems large. Maybe the six is just abbreviation for six, six, six. Deep six. Which ties back to wow. your story about the devil incarnate from earlier. So the... Huh? Whenever I order fish from the local grocer here, it's from the fishmonger department. And because I have no freaking clue about how to clean a fish, I always say, no, you please clean it and take out all the bones. Oh, sure. And Makes but, all the sense in the world. Does but they still always, have bones? They, yeah, they take a proper frozen fish and clean it. It's not even totally frozen. It's just lying on ice. But they always ask, hey, do you want the head and the bones and stuff, like in case you're making soup sometime? And yeah. almost always I say no, but I, I totally understand that's a, that's a thing. And the thing is, if your fish is clean... And I used to rinse it in cold water, and I might squirt some lemon on it. If your fish is clean, and, and, don't be so mean. And wash it. What? If your fish is clean, don't be so mean. <laughs> wow. Man, you and are serve it to tonight. your queen. <laughs> the queen doesn't eat no fish. Get that oh. slimy shit away from me. I love <laughs> it when people say, it doesn't taste fishy. Oh, well, does it taste chickeny? If that's the case, we'll just serve you chicken next time. And fishy means you, you, what they really mean to say, it doesn't taste slimy. Right. That's what they mean. We recently had some... It doesn't taste... Fi- yeah. We recently had some tuna, and proper tuna is very dry, and and anyway, my mother-in-law served it to, to my kids and said, oh no, this is chicken. And I don't know if they really believed it, because she's known for not being all Same. that honest. Yeah. But, a liar. Yeah, well... So they call her... Yes. And she was like, hey, do you want more chicken? But anyway, speaking of kitchens, I'd like to finish our discussion on Mildred Pierce. Oh, because good. the last time been thinking of on our last episode, you had watched three of the five and I had watched four of the five. And episode four, as I had warned you, shit goes totally weird and it was never... Okay. Who would have thought that opera would have been part of this series at all? Uh, no one until you I get thought episode it, four. Yeah. And it satisfied our intense curiosity as to what happened with the daughter's musical career. And you'll have to remind me of her name and the, her character's <laughs> name. But, or, Vita. Vita. Or, or Vita. Vita. Yeah. And but I would like to apologize. In our last episode, we kept saying Rachel Evan Wood, but her name is Evan Rachel Wood. Rachel to the middle name. Oh. So, don't make that mistake. Evan Rachel Wood. Yes. With the emphasis on Wood. Evan Ooh. Rachel Wood. No, Evan Rachel Wood. The emphasis on Rachel. Would she? I don't know. She was fabulous. This is what we I think Evan Rachel She was going to be fabulous. She was going to be fabulous. And whatever was going to happen with that character was going to happen then. And we knew that from the end of episode one. We knew, of course, going into the series that she played the adult Vita. Right. Or the older Vita. We knew that. We didn't know how long the kid was going to hang around, but she was the most despicable. And we knew child. that the kid was a little, as you you use the word, but I totally whole, whole, wholeheartedly agree that she was a little bitch. It's she like was awful. She was and terrible. arrogant and put on airs. And, and oh, and, mother, do you really what? think that we should, that you should be putting on a uniform? Yeah. I'm above this bullshit. Oh, well, ye gods. What did she say? Oh, you gods and... Like, something. at that point, I would have been like, then you can just leave the house right now at age... Well, she hit her. 11. But the you, scenes where she... Yeah, but, but it's like... Hit look, her. Look, you're 11. Bye. Go find your own job. 
and see what sort of job you can pull down being all hoity-toity. Anyway, so my, my, my hilarious, to me, anecdote about this is that... Here we are. But we knew when Rachel, Evan Rachelwood came in, that was going to be a huge dramatic unveiling. And what we learned at the conclusion of the young Vita was that at the end of the third episode, that uh, mother became the victim of the child. And what had happened was Avita hit her. Yes. And she cowered. And from that moment forward, she became a victim in a way that was excruciatingly painful for the viewer, certainly for me. I'm not used to characters who are so unbelievably stepped upon. And the heroine was so opposite of a superhero that it was just, it was... An anti-hero. Super anti-hero. Right. Yeah, I would... Yes, that was really painful to see and to watch. But I don't know. I would say that she, that Veda, Vita, sorry, Vita, Veda, Darth Veda, she was in control from when she was a child. Like, she was demanding shit of her mother in a way that I think... As a grandparent, I think you spend time out in the park with your grandkids, and there are certain parent-child dynamics that you can witness where the child is commanding right. the parents. Right. No, yes, I think that's well, uh, well put. And in fact, the slapping that the child received on two occasions and the absurd spanking, which I'm certain was intended to be just ridiculous, having this smallish woman right. and this largest child who has on a not only a pajamas but a robe, which meant that the small hand paddling had absolutely no physical effect whatsoever and was nothing more than humiliating for both people. But there was a switch in the third episode where after she was hit, if she'd been hit in the first or second episode, she would have beat the hell out of her. She would have slapped her around a little bit. By the third episode, she was she when she got hit, she didn't respond. But nonetheless, the child was in command for all the episodes. We never witnessed a strength coming from the mother. And we knew there was right. fucking trouble. Framing Vita in the window at the conclusion of the first episode, the back of her head, indicating for us that she'd overheard the terrible news of her mother being right. a servant, ye gods. And as the director said in an interview, we wanted you to wonder about this character who up until that time wasn't a real primary character, just the child, one of the children, of what was she going to have to do with this? And as it turns out, we connected that in our discussion with the fact of who the actress was for the elder one. And that's when we realized that it was very smart. And the whole, like, episode four of the five was when Vita... I forget what the actual conflict was, but... She threw her out of the house. She said, I'm moving... Oh, no, she was trying to, she was trying to blackmail... A lover. A, another rich dude... Into marriage and to claim that she was pregnant, such to get him to marry her right, to the take his money. Who we met and, in episode? Which and right and so, what I found really fascinating about that was, first of all, she said, "Oh yeah, mother, I calculated how old I was yeah. when I was born and when you got married. So how is this any different?" But also, I loved the assumption that in 1931, if a man had knocked up your daughter, you could have him arrested and forced to marry. Like, there was this implication of we're going to send the police to 
detain this man who has made my daughter pregnant and to more or less force the moral which marriage the of these two, term. which I found really... But that, that was interesting. But my, my, the hilarious thing that occurred was after our last recording, where all I had was the fifth episode to watch, and I started watching with my wife, who had watched it the whole time. And by, by after, after episode four, we, were, we didn't really enjoy the show that much anymore, but we were like, there's just one more episode. We have to do this. And Why didn't you so enjoy we, it? we started Don't watching, and she fell asleep it? after... Because of the character? The first part, I guess I hated Vita so much, and I also didn't really respect Mildred or Monty, Guy Pierce. And, and it was... It was just like, this is were, such a it, clusterfuck. Every character except for Bert, was fucking despicable. Of course, one, that's not true either. The woman expertly played by the lady from, what's her name, Withingham? Who ate up uh, took Mayor, over the restaurant. She yeah. wasn't despicable either. So there were several non-despicable characters. But the primary characters, the three of them, they were all despicable. The oh, who's the lawyer? What's his name? Yeah. Bart? No, I don't think there was Bert, Bert and Bart. <laughs> that would have been bad writing. <laughs> You, you, you don't, eh? I forget what, what his name was. And what makes you so sure yourself, Bert? <laughs> no, but yes, he was a jerk as well, and always trying to talk on things. But anyway, let me, let me get back to, we were watching the fifth episode, and we got 45 minutes in, and my wife was like, oh, I'm falling asleep. Let's watch the last 15 minutes of this later. And, and we are like, okay, fine. And then a day went by, and we didn't watch it. And then the following day, we said, okay, let's finish this last 15 minutes of the show. And the last 15 minutes is, like, a, is yeah. like seven episodes. Because when I pressed play on what we had paused, it was when Mildred was going to look for Vita in oh, her yeah. bedroom in this mansion. Oh, my. And exactly, right? And it was, this is the last 15 minutes. So we went from knowing that they were upset with each other to discovering the big reveal and the big fuck you mother. And I, in the moment, I said, Mildred is going to kill her daughter. Oh. Right before she went over to try and strangle her. I thought if there was a gun involved, if there was a gun around, both Vita and yeah. Monty would have been dead. But she didn't have one. But it, but then it went directly to a marriage, and then it like tied and up they reconciled in a, in a nice bow so at the end. Mildred thought, which you never, ever would have thought that right up till it happened the surprises the, the exactly like the fact that vita would have attended was, her wedding like that made so, her so happy but she was did you trust it uh, there is an interview i don't know if you watch the director's interviews i watched some of them for this but there was part of an interview that i no. saw that you will find really interesting i think is that there was a moment in in the last 15 minutes when vita was at the philharmonic at her New York huge event, and she was allowed an encore. LA. And the encore was intended for her mother. Mm. And immediately prior to her coming out and singing the encore, Mildred had borrowed or had a set of binoculars and was watching Vita up close. Yes. And in the role that Vita was playing, she was the vilest of character, and she was very angry in that particular operatic expression of that, that phrasing that they showed under the binoculars. And the director said, and, and it's very notable because she looked so incredibly satanic. And the director said, we wanted you to know that this was the moment that Mildred realized just how evil Vita was and how 
thoroughly. She was but a hateful she? character, and as it, as it turns out, a precursing emotion, if you will, that once the strangulation happened, when she was strangling her daughter, you could connect that scene with this mm -hmm. scene that I'm describing quickly. I don't know that I buy that because I really think that Mildred, when Vita showed up at her wedding. That happened wedding. first. This was many scenes later after they had reconciled. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because, yes, because they had, the, so the, the screenshot to preview the thumbnail for the fourth episode or fifth episode was of, of Mildred and Monty and Bert all sitting there with Mildred with her upper glasses. And when we started, when we pressed play on that episode, we were like, what is she doing there with her boyfriend and her, and her ex-husband? Like, that didn't make sense. But then when, when it actually happened, when she had been married to, to Monty, I keep wanting to say guy. And in the moment, yes, you're right, it made sense. But man, what a, so when I looked into this, of course, as I said last time, this Joan was a Crawford, movie from a long time ago. Who played Mildred. Yes, but it was a, so like to us, it seems like a super period piece, but it was set in 1931, but it was written in 1941. So it was fairly current, these things. This is like someone now writing a, writing a period piece set in 2011. Yeah, that's, a, which, that's a great point. When you, when you mention how much you love the cars, I did too, and I, I watched them and studied them even more. But one of the cars that was just fucking wonderful was Monty's convertible. And, oh, and... Just, of course. Just amazing. And the other... Wasn't there another convertible in it? Anyway, but the, the cars were great. Probably. And the other thing that I have to yeah. say I just loved in episode five, in a particular scene, where Vito, who had spent gobs of money, some she didn't have, she was dressed in some of the most wonderful costumes and outfits. And in the scene, one of the closing scenes, when she is standing in front of her taxi cab leaving and Mother Mildred figures out all of it. Yes. I remember that dress. That dress with those buttons and that hat, that color in front of that bright yellow taxi. I got to tell you, I looked at it and I said, played. I, mean, I thought it was so perfect. <laughs> and the thing is, and yes. I felt this too, that this, this very moment, in these, that very moment, is that when Mildred and Bert got back together again and they said, let's just get stinko, it reminded me, as it had throughout, how, how obvious it was that this was a remake and that the screenplay was almost, it, it, you couldn't mess with it much and still be true. And mm -hmm. it was at that moment and leading up to that that Mildred, who was so victimized and so, what's the word I want, just rolled over, just let it happen. Oh, Bettered. it was so sad. And I didn't feel any joy for her and or Bert at the end. I didn't feel like, oh, yes, it's a new start for them. I knew that it would torture her till the day she died because she, and she didn't even believe it herself. And when she said, let's get Stinko, that look wasn't right. one of joy. It was utter, absolute, paralyzing fear. So the movie ended on a Despair. terrible note. It's like ending on a tragedy. They wouldn't make a movie like that today. They would do a remake as they did. They would, I don't know, name me a movie that ends in such a tragic Probably not. ending where... Like this. I, I don't know. I don't think of anything yeah. as, as grimacing as that. You preempted my, my question of 
Do you remember the last word spoken in the miniseries? Stinko. And that is stinko, which is not a word no. used anymore. Do you rem- did you see what I call was you the that famous sometimes. Meryl Streep movie that she cut her teeth on her first Oscar nomination, where she played the the Polish woman in America to, let's see, who's the actor who played? Yes. Sophie's Choice? Yes, yes, yes. yes, no. yes. Sophie's Choice. I've still never seen that, although I know um, what, I know so the term choice. You've seen all the Ghostbusters, is. correct? The dude, Indeed, the little yes. dude who plays the Polish guy in the second, who's on his yes. knees begging for yes. assistance from the devil? Yep. That dude is in Sophie's Choice, mm-hmm. one of his earliest roles. He's He literally is in his early 20s. He's so young. And his name nice. is Polish in the movie, I think, American perhaps, but his nickname is Stingo, S-T-I-N-G-O. And in a very funny scene, Meryl Streep, just so god-awful lovely and touching in this movie, which is, you got to put it on your list, man. It's unbelievable. She calls him Stinko. And so when Mildred Pierce and Bert say, let's get Stinko, and she says Stinko, of course, that movie came to mind in this wonderful character. He's also the narrator hmm. of the entire sh- movie, which in, and in the book, too. Which Hey, that's I potential think the homework. Book. The book, it's one of those rare occasions where the book and the movie are almost equally pleasurable and wonderful. But the movie, because of Meryl Streep, more than anything, but of course, I'm trying to think of the actress name here, uh, who played her artistic poet the husband. Kevin Klein. Google it and figure it out. But, uh, Peter Fabulous McNichol. made the movie even better than the book. But I read the book first, which is smart. I don't know. When you read the book after the movie, you can picture yeah. the people in the movie and the roles, and the book is actually a little easier to image. True, true. Right. Well, unless something else comes up, I might place that for... What was your other homework this week? week was Prometheus. So choice. Prometheus. The god who brang... Who brang... You're going to bring it? Hey, did you bring uh, it? Yeah, god. I bring it. Are you sure you brought it? I don't see you bring the it. The god I who don't... done bring fire. He's the god who done bring fire to the man, people. Yes. it. I watched it, and it. it's perfect for a prequel to Alien. I will give it that. It's not my kind of sci-fi scary movie. There are so many science holes yeah. in it that I had trouble. But this whole idea of... This, it's very egotistical to think that what humans are was ever the initial goal for whatever planted life on this planet because like it just makes no freaking sense and actually this is totally random but my father this week shared with me a clip of Carl Sagan talking about how Carl Sagan talking to Johnny Carson about how Star Wars was bullshit. This was like right when Star Wars had come out and he was he was invited to be on the Johnny Carson show and he said, look, they start with, this is a galaxy far away a long time ago, but it makes no sense that anyone at all would look remotely like we do, given natural selection and, and evolving and stuff. And he also called out, he said, it seems very weird to me that all the people in power are white-looking humans. And none of the creatures of other colors seem to have any power, which was like so, so under his ears in or whatever. Race? Why would he assume that? 
no, he's not saying it's unique to the human race. It's that the creators of this show, it seems so weird that all the people in power are the white looking humans and Chewbacca didn't even get a medal at the end. But anyway, going back to, to Prometheus, this idea that, and I love the initial premise of, because I love the initial premises of Dan Brown novels where it's, wait, we've huh. covered these caves in different places of the world where they could not have possibly interacted and they're all drawing the same structure. Oh my God, this must mean something. Like, And did you like the billionaire so scenario where unprecedented amounts of money could produce this incredible capability to, 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 of exploration? What was your take on that? Seems pretty fucking reasonable, given that today Jeff Bezos yeah, was space for. What did you think of the? Three minutes. What did you he think? He was there for three minutes. I watched Jeff Bezos's launch live. It was from ground to ground. It was nine and uh -huh. a half, ten minutes. That's like a. That's up. That's longer than any that ride at Disneyland or anything. But yeah, and he shot himself up there with a couple people and came back down, and they survived, and great, and the rocket landed nicely as it should. But exploration, How did you like that is the, not, the actor that is who played a, the old billionaire. I did not recognize him at first when he was a hologram at the beginning, but I was waiting for that name on the credits to appear. And when he did later, were you it was surprised like, it was oh, Guy Pierce? Hey, Monty. Did you you had no? I had seen the no. I had seen I who was in the I, movie. I, unlike you, and I did not. So I sort of. I wondered who the actor was. I had no clue. So it wasn't until I saw mm. the credits, like the third time I've seen the movie recently, because I saw the end of it. I saw the second half right. most recently. So here I am the third time, and I never knew who played the old guy. And so what, what, and, and then I said, of course it was him. That's why he looked so familiar to me. So what yeah. did you think of the robot, the, but, man, the, and all, and, and the characterization of the, of, oh, yes. I have thoughts on this. First of all, the Guy Pierce makeup. Man, Hollywood really needs to figure out how to make someone look old. That doesn't, this isn't Players. just like we're throwing a bunch Players of wrinkly of shit on your face. Like, it's, it, it looks so bad. Age, it looks so not, bad. Movie's not uh, and recent. Yeah. This is 10 years ago. This That's is a long 10 years old. But you may know something about that. I, I know something. The robot, man, that dude is a handsome fellow. Yeah. Fastbender. Michael Fastbender. He's just a and dude. Perfectly and suited for the role of the perfect man. The beginning of it, when he is right. padding around, getting his directions. Who? There was a scene that I missed in the last view. He's riding his bicycle and shooting hook shots into the basket perfectly every time. He's just goofing around he's, on the spaceship. He's, this isn't um, the only time he played just, a robot. I wonder... Why am I thinking of a, was was this in the movie? They're in. There's a man, very wealthy man, sitting in a chair, a modern-looking egg chair, looking out over a great through a full wall window over of, of an expanse of some unique landscape, and the robot pads in. Fastbinder is a robot, pass, pads in on bare feet, and it's in the beginning of the movie. Is this the movie that's in? Does this scene? Who was sitting yes. in the chair? Yes. Who was the actor? Yes. There was no one Who's in, the, in chair? the chair. 
No, he was alone for a long time on the spaceship, oh, this just minding his own business, waiting for yeah. the two hundred years or whatever. It didn't. Uh, yeah, two this, years or whatever. Yeah, this to is, arrive. I've got. He must have played the robot. The, he did. I'm sure he played a robot in another movie. I I don't know which. So this is actually a tie-in to our last episode. The slow internet connection. Michael Fassbender was nominated for an Oscar for 12 Years a Slave. I assume he was one of the slave owners. And he lost that nomination to Jared Leto in of last year's conversation. Last, last year. Feels like it. Fires last Club. week. Dallas Fires Club. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So that to think hey, man. Is, what? Hey, man. What other homework did you have? You sent me a couple things I looked at, but you sent me a... Huh. I told you to watch Interstellar, but that's like a serious. Oh, and I didn't even. I didn't even. Do I'm sure it. you haven't done. I gotta. Uh, wait a minute. Find no, a I gotta have a piece. In the paper and then. A sec. It, what you know what I think? Here's a unique idea. I'll write it down. In. Or you could write it down. Stellar. Stellar. Contender. Yes. So, that's a potential movie for you. My potential homework is Sophie's Choice, which. I've heard is a not a happy movie. Um, it's not a happy movie, but especially given that but, I have two children. Yeah, yeah, as I as I do and more. But unlike many movies that may not be happy, like Mildred Purse, for example, which I would grade Sophie's Choice in the top grade, top rating A category, and Mildred Purse a strong Mildred Pierce a mm-hmm. strong B, to give you an idea, but. Mm-hmm. What takes you beyond, okay. way beyond the, whereas in Mildred Pierce come forth episode is, God, how much longer do I got to watch these people in these despicable situations? No good will exactly come my sensation, yes. Monty, Mildred, Norvita, this all just so bad for everybody, horrible. This move, you will not ever feel that way because the acting transcends and grabs you and you're on the edge of your seat. Hmm. You will never say, yawn, I'm thinking of shutting this off now. It's gripping. And the narration, right? the narration by Stingle is a wonderful touch because he's reminiscing and he's talking about this part of his life when he was aspiring to be a writer. And obviously this... Okay, don't tell me to... No, this, you'll more. find this out in the trailer. Hey. There's no no surprise that Stingo is a writer who's reminiscing. Hmm. Uh but my point is that it's Aren't we all? even though it's sad like Mildred Pierce is sad, doesn't compare. They're not in the same category. No order. Okay, good. And, Don't tell me anymore. Winslet, I, I, Very I don't good. think it's so, one of Winslet's best jobs. It's the weakest. Because I no, don't like I mean, the character. I didn't like. She won. Yeah, she won Emmys. Many people in this one ah. won the miniseries Emmy for that year. But apparently there wasn't much competition. I sent you the awards that were won. But a quick fun fact Michael Fassbender. Living up to his name, he is now a European Le Mans series racer. He's a driver for Le Mans oh uh, racing cars. That is wild. Isn't that wild? Who are the other race fanatics in the he's so fucking good-looking industry? Too. And he's married to the gorgeous Swedish actress that played Laura Croft in the most recent version of that video game turned I haven't seen turned it. movie series. That the Angelina? first one of those was played by. 
Angelina. Yes, I didn't watch good. it because of that. But uh, yes. No, but the, yeah. the second one with this Alicia Vikander oh, yes. person is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's basically uh-huh. Indiana Jones. So but Indiana got hurt, and Harrison Ford is uh, banged up, and they're now replacing him with uh, digital, facially enhanced replacement actors, so it's not to delay the production. And there was a little hoo-ha about, God, I hope it's better than Blank Movie, which tried to do the same thing to such a bad effect. But as you've said... Like his previous movie. Which one? Look, when you're eight, when you're 80 years old and you're doing an action flick, yeah, slow down. And he got hurt, so there you go. I'd get hurt too. But to get hurt as an 80 year old is like Every you know, stepping up from your chair the wrong way. Right. So, anyway, that that's where that is. So we have a oh. we have had a bit of rain off and on for a while. I one of my recent jobs was to go to a neighbor's house who had advertised in a little blog that the neighbors have hostas for free come dig them up and i went to her house she had more hostas hostas with uh, elephant size ears elephant ear sized of leaves and a very tall purple or white stem that shoots out of it with a nice flower on it but they are a rooter okay meaning they propagate by roots and knolls off the roots and so when i dug these up i had to cut through roots that were as thick as my wrist almost as thick as my wrist because they'd been there for so many years and they completely took over this space. So I went in there with my shovel and spade and cut out 20 of them, brought them home and transplanted them. That was a sweaty, wonderful time. I'll send you a a picture of how nice, they don't look nice yet because they're just now done, but I had taken a big bag of fresh potting soil, mix it in with some topsoil. Wait, a neighbor asked you to come steal my flowers. Free hostas, just come and dig them up. We want them thinned. And anybody who could went. I was one of the few people who went, and I ended up taking 20 plants. To fight off some other And funny, the guy next door, he sees me loading him up. Back off, old lady. Old guy next door with a pair of dungarees and suspenders, which is pretty much what I had on, comes over and says, Hey, I got a big one over here if you want another one. I said, Well, I got a lot here. Barely lift the... I've got these two big containers. What a pickup line. You can barely pick up, stretching my back to get them loaded. I said, I got a lot here. He says, they're giant hostas. Come on, they're giant hostas. Let me show you. And I say, all right, I'll like them. So I go back, and these hostas are four and a half foot tall. The ones that I'm digging up are knee high. These are better than waist high. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll dig one of those up. He says, oh, no, I've got it dug up. It's right there. Just take one. So I took the root, which is the size of a bucket, and planted that in the center of my little patch. Wait. Are you describing a hostas situation? Were you a hostage she said, you want more? I said, no, no more hostages will be taken. <laughs> hey, hey, eight minutes to say something that was, hey, hey, you're on fire. Hostages. It's about time you, you lobbed a, a ball into my court. That's right. Jeez. There you go. That's going to end it on a happy note. There'll be no musical ending on my end. Well, There'll be no sudden, oh, let's go silent kind of thing we've been doing now for, what, six weeks? You know, instead I think we should... I, mean, look, I, think I love should, you too, man. You know, let's do something. hug it out. 
Okay, that does it for episode number 119. You can find the show notes at happyhour.fm slash 119. You can help support us by going to patreon.com slash happyhour. We would very much appreciate that. And I'm going to watch Sophie's Choice in the next week. So if you'd like to do that and follow along, be my guest. We'll see you next week. And we lost connection. Fantastic.